Welcome to Emotion Well, EFR's podcast about all things related to emotional wellness. I'm Johanna Dunlevy, the wellness manager for Employee and Family Resources, also known as EFR, and I'm the host of our podcast. As an FYI, EFR is located in Des Moines, Iowa, and we are Iowa's first employee assistance program and provide a variety of services you can learn more about at www.efr.org. I'm here today with my coworker, Joe McQuarrie, the prevention team lead from Employee and Family Resources. Hello, Joe. Good morning, Johanna. Good morning. It's cold today. I We're love recording it. this podcast on a very cold day. <laughs> I have Joe on the show because I thought it'd be interesting to talk to you, Joe, about your experience both at EFR as a prevention team lead, but also you have many years of coaching under your belt. And when you think about coaching youth you know, and teenagers, I think there's a lot that goes into that from an emotional perspective, I think both coaching and also from the perspective of what the the athletes are getting out of being part of a team and an organized event. Uh, but I also want to talk to you a little bit about your role as a prevention specialist here and, and just how, you know, the choices we make as, as young people can affect us long term. So go ahead and introduce us to the audience, introduce our audience to you, and tell us a little bit about what you're doing at EFR and what you do outside of EFR. Sure. So yeah, as you said, Joe McQuarrie. Uh, I've been here at EFR for about seven years now. Uh, not sure how long I've been the team lead, two or three years. Time gets away from you when you're <laughs> indulged in your work. Yes. Uh, I have a background, uh, a, a huge background in working with kids and people. Uh, I've spent a little bit of time at DHS, um, the Department of Human Services. I've also spent some time as a personal banker. And way, way back, I spent about 15 years in the high school working as a campus monitor. Oh, yeah. And so that was truly hands-on. I mean, there were days when I was, you know, I'd, in the morning I'd go jumpstart somebody's car, help them change their tire, go inside, break up a fight, go out in the hallway, and next thing you know, I'm, someone's crying on my shoulder because they've lost a loved one or they're uh-huh. just having a rough day. So, so, yeah, I've got a wide variety of things that I've done in my past, but all of them have been some kind of direct contact with people, which is what I just love that. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about coaching. What sport did you coach and how long did you coach? Sure. So I've coached four sports. I've okay. coached girls basketball, baseball, track, and football. I did that for about eight years. I did four sports year round, which was a grind. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually reduced that down to three and then down to two, which was football and track. And then I ended my coaching career uh, coaching track. I was a head boys track coach for 25 years uh, here in town and then another four years as an assistant. So just under three decades of yeah. coaching under my belt. Wow, that's impressive. I, there, I would have so many questions about, I mean, those are all very different sports yes. and working with different types of, you know, athletes and mentalities right. and coaching men versus coaching women. I Absolutely. think you could probably talk for a long time about that. Um, so from your experience as a coach, how, how do you see sports playing a role in the social and emotional development of whether it's a five-year-old who's joined you know, a soccer team or a t-ball league or an 18-year-old, you know, competing in their final year of high school athletics? Sure. Well, a lot of what we do in life is so multifaceted. Um, a lot of different things out there contribute to how we grow. 
but athletics, in my ver in my view, uh, is probably one of the single most um, influential things that a, a youth can go through because you get such a, a variety. Uh, and as you just mentioned, you know, with me coaching the many different sports, oftentimes it's the same athletes, uh, but because they get different coaches from sport to sport, they get different philosophies, mm -hmm. so they get different approaches, which is very similar to what they're going to see in life. Um, it's not, I, I don't know how common it is for someone to start a job and that be the job they retire in. So it's similar to coaching in the workforce and that you're going to go to a particular work environment, stay there for a while, you may switch jobs. Now all of a sudden you've got a new head coach or a new boss, a uh -huh. new philosophy, a new, new approach. And so it does a really good job of teaching versatility and how to be flexible, um, how to adjust to the different people that you're going to encounter. You're going to have different teammates. You're going to have different head coaches, assistant coaches, different philosophies. Uh, these are all things that help our kids uh, prepare for life uh, as we experience so many changes, as we are experiencing now. Uh -huh. uh, in my 30 years of coaching, I've never seen such a roller coaster ride of emotions in society. Right. You throw COVID in there, uh, being locked down, you know, when do I get out? When can I see somebody and so forth? Um, so this is where athletes probably are in a little bit better position than your average Joe, excuse <laughs> the pun there, uh, because they're used to changes. Uh, yeah. They're used to having to adapt. Games change on the moment. You know, mm -hmm. one moment you're ahead, one minute you're behind, and you've got to adapt to those changes. So sports does an excellent job of preparing uh, our youth for the quote-unquote real world. Yeah. Uh, when you think about, you know, coaching, so basketball, football, baseball, all team-oriented, and track is as well, but there's a lot of individual, you know, competitions within, sure. a, you know, a track uh, and field meet or event. So what are some of the differences when you're coaching something like basketball versus track and field? So you've got, you know, basketball, everyone, you know, you have to have five people on the court. Sure. With track, yeah. you've got people everywhere doing individual events doing team events right. yeah track is unique in that uh it's an individual and team sport all in the same yes you're out there there's you know we like to joke in the coaching world or in the track world that there's nowhere to hide right you know when you're on a football field or the gridiron if you will uh you could Actually, you could probably not. There's sometimes where you may not actually do anything. I mean, literally, not do anything on a particular play, and the game still goes on. Yeah. Uh, there's 10 other players out there. Track and field, you can't do that. You yeah. know, when the gun goes off, it's you and the stopwatch. And at the same time, uh, you still have that team aspect because points are kept. Uh -huh. So in track, let me make sure I get this right. So. Dependent, and it varies from state to state, but here in Iowa, first place is 10 points, second place is eight points, third place is six, and it just trickles on down. Uh, and so in track, one of the things that I do, or used to do as a head coach, was emphasize the importance of that one point. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had a couple of conference meets where it's come down to the wire, and we do all of our tracking ahead of time as coaches, trying to best figure out what the other teams are going to do and figure out how many points they're going to score. And I had a great assistant, had several great assistants over the years. Um, I will mention James Hoffman. He really helped propel my program in track. 
Um, but one of the things we would do is kind of calculate our best guess on where these points are going to lay out. And sometimes we would share that with the team to show them how, how close it could be uh-huh. and how important that one point is. Um, oftentimes, in whether it be track and field and or life, we get close to the finish line, we realize we're not going to win, and so we stop giving that full effort. While in track, sometimes you have two different heats. So for the 100, for example, you may have eight people in the 100 meters in heat one, and then heat two, you have another eight. So Mm -hmm. there's 16 participants. Well, there's only eight places. You don't know what the time in the other heat is going to be. So even if you're the last person in your heat, it's extremely important that you push through that finish line because you don't know if that's going to be a point or two or so forth. So again, in life, we have those similar situations where we may not, there's a job we might be going for that we, eh, we may not get that job. And so we stop putting that effort forward. Um, and that's just one example. But yeah, so they really parallel each other when it comes to um, how you're performing, the effort that you're putting forward on the, on the athletic or in the athletic arena, as well as in life, whether it be seeking out a job, you know, looking to get healthy. Um, yeah, so yeah, they parallel each other very well. Yeah. So with 30 plus years of coaching experience, I'm sure you've seen a lot of changes uh, with the student athletes that you coached. You know, there's all, there's been this um, saying for the past, I don't know how many years now, 20 maybe, everyone gets a trophy, everyone gets a ribbon. Right. Did you see that evolution as a coach? Absolutely. Where, where you know, the, the athletes that you coached more recently than the first generation maybe that you coached felt maybe more entitled to always win something? Yes, absolutely. And so how, as a coach, how did you navigate that? To teach them right. that in life you don't always win something. There's, right. there's not always a top one, two, and three. Sure, absolutely. Fortunately for me, by the time that change or that transition happened, I had been there long enough that my program had been established. Mm-hmm. And so coming into my program, the kids knew what the expectation was. Uh, they knew that it was all about hard work. We actually had a saying in our program, it's two-part, I or someone would lead this with, we're the best team in the state, the response would be, let's go to work. And that was our way of kind of locking things back in to whatever's going on around us, now it's time to get back to work. And so through that evolution, I really didn't have too many problems with it on my team, again, because my program had been established. Right. But I could see how someone, especially a new coach coming in in the last five to 10 years, or maybe even coming in in the middle of that transition, how difficult that could have been. Because you're right, uh, there's a sense of, and I'm just gonna be completely frank, there's a sense of entitlement Uh that our kids are feeling right now. The unfortunate part about that, and again, the the kids have some ownership to that, but I don't blame them totally. Uh, The, if there's a fault, for lack of a better word or phrase, the fault lies with the adults. Right. Um, we have trained our kids, unfortunately, that if you show up, you win. Mm-hmm. And it's just not that simple. Yeah. So I come from uh, somewhat of a religious background. My mother, God rest her soul, was a Methodist minister. Okay. And she would often say in, in some of her sermons, you have to show up. And so that might be the initial 
uh, burst, if you will, of the sermon. But then she would go into details about when you show up, what are you going to do? Mm. And so that's kind of where we are right now. Um, and that's the struggle because kids are saying, I'm showing up, you know, pay me, give me the trophy, whatever right. the case may be. But then for me, it's now what are you going to do now that you're here? Yeah. Well, I think it's just so important that we allow natural consequences to happen, right? And so you don't always win. My daughter, who's just turned five, we we play a lot of board games and little, you know, sure. old maid, right. skip bow type card games. Oh, I miss and those. I miss those. You miss days. those days. Oh, yeah. yes, I do. Because you have adult <laughs> children, uh, but you know, I. I don't let her win. I mean, right. I let, you know, she wins sometimes, but I'm not the parent that's going to, you know, delay the game so that she can win because I don't want her to expect that winning is just something that always happens when she, sure. you know, that's not going to always be the outcome of a game uh, or an interview. And that can be tough as a parent a relationship. and a coach. Yeah. You know, um, trying to instill, not only instill that, but then also watch the, you know, watch the carnage on the face of, of defeat. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's, it's it, it hits home even more when it's your own child. Yeah. But And I was like you. I didn't let my kids win anything. To this day, <laughs> I don't let this my kids. This doesn't surprise me. No, yeah, right? You know me, yeah. Uh, but we were fortunate enough to, uh, our kids have done great uh, but more specifically, I'm going to talk about my son briefly because he was appointed or got an appointment to the Air Force Academy, oh. which is not easy to do. And I'm not bragging. I'm just setting the scene for this whole talk of, you know, what you can and can't get away with. So of the 12,000 applications that they get at the academy, only 1,200 get in. And like I said, he was fortunate enough to get in. And we were talking one day, I believe it was his junior year, he was back for one of his breaks. And he was sharing how he and some of the other cadets were all kind of sitting around there, maybe 10 or 15, maybe more, talking about their experiences and how they got to the academy. And they all had different paths, as you can imagine. But throughout that conversation, they discovered they had one thing in common. And it was specific to dads. And again, I wasn't there for the conversation to know if there were some single parents in there that also uh, played a role in this And from a... Uh, mother's perspective but his comment was that the one thing they had in common was that none of their dads ever let them win anything yeah and I just thought that was ironic for me that was that was somewhat of justification because it was hard Um, I would get static not so much from my friends but from colleagues uh, people that I coach with people that I work with about how tough I am on my kids and so to hear him come back and say that after all those years, you know, it was just kind of a, it was a big sigh of relief for me uh, to hear that from him. Uh, the other thing, before he got to the academy, and this again plays into somewhat of this entitlement, somewhat of just being a tough coach, tough dad, uh, we, you know, it was the night before we were dropping him off and I took him across the street to go get some money, kind of a last father-son moment before he's off into the military. And I asked him, you know, where's your head right now? He says, well, Dad, he's like, I'm not going to be in the front and I'm not going to be in the back. And I kind of looked at him quizzically like, what? Well, what do you mean by that? You know, and I told him, I said, you're a leader. They'll find you. They find leaders. Yeah. Sure enough, he became element leader and some other 
uh, leadership roles. But then he, I said, anything else? He says, well, Dad, the best lesson you ever taught me. I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. So I'm reaching for my phone to record. <laughs> and he's like, put that thing away. I'm like, no, seriously. And so, so we joked about that. And he says, no, seriously, the best lesson you ever taught me was that sometimes you're right. Sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes at the end of the day, you just got to shut up and do what you're told. <laughs> yeah. My eyes got wide as saucers. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Here I am, Colorado Springs, just less than a mile away from the Air Force Academy, one of the busiest streets in that town, Academy Boulevard. I am on the corner on my hands and knees bowing down to my son. <laughs> and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, that's it. You've got it. Yeah. And so he was able to have a successful career and time uh, while he was at the academy. Uh, just this last summer, he just made captain. And so here That's I am. Great. I've got this 20, thank you. I've got this 26 year old captain um, who went, basically went through the school of hard knocks uh, with me as a dad and as a coach because he got two worlds, um, yeah. which was another difficult thing for me, kind of splitting Did you those coach two. your kids? I did, but not until, well, I did in summer track for a little bit. Okay. And then I broke away from that because I wanted to be the dad. Yeah. You know, the other thing I wanted for my kids is that versatility. I, when my kids were little, again, with the exception of one or two uh, summers in track, I was adamant about not coaching my kids. And the reasoning and idea behind that was when I was, you know, as a coach and when I was coaching in high school, the kid, they're going to come to me. Okay, if I'm coaching, I'm, the rule was always that as long as I'm the head coach, you're going to come to me. With that in mind, I didn't want to be their only coach for their entire life. They needed to get different philosophies, different uh, approaches to things. Uh, the other thing it allowed me to do by doing that is to just be the dad in the stands. Yeah. Uh, which is funny because anybody that knows me and knows my coaching style me in the stands as a dad looks totally different than me as a coach. Um, me as a coach, I mean, it's, it's high octane. I yeah. mean, it, it's intense. But as a dad, because I, I know where my limitations are, I know the roar of my voice and what that sounds like, um, I, again, I took that backseat role and just, I was that quiet parent. Again, I was cheering my kids on and so forth, but I was very conscious about not overwhelming them during competition as the dad, because I know as a coach what that sounds like, you know, those roars coming from the crowd, yeah. from the parents. Uh -huh. So yeah, and that was difficult at times to split those two, because there were times when I wanted to get right down in there and say, all right, here's what we're going to do. Yeah. So of course, we had many conversations on the way home about what was happening, and then working on different things once we got to the house. But again, that was just the dad, not the coach. Yeah. It just so happened that the dad had the knowledge of a coach. Yeah. It, we, Steve Arneson was on the podcast, mm -hmm. and you know he coached track and field yep. in Ankeny, I think it yes, was. Yes, correct. Cross country. Or, or cross country, yes, yes, for many years. And he talked a little bit about that too, like mm -hmm. how much he loved just getting to be the dad right. and, you know, watching and, yeah. you know, celebrating with them. Right. So. And that was sometimes, I mean, I would, there were times when I would literally sneak in, uh, sit at the top of the bleachers, because when you've coached as long as I have, and people recognize you, people want to ask you questions. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm dad. You know, this, I'm not. I'm not working right I'm now. I'm not working right now. I'm not, I don't have an opinion on what's being done down there. Um, 
So did your kids gravitate naturally towards track and field, or did you kind of push them in that direction? Because that's another thing I wanted to talk about is just kind of um, there's this saying, you know, for parents to kind of keep in mind, don't make your dreams your child's nightmare, Mm -hmm. you know? Sure, sure. So do they gravitate towards that that sport just on their own through Mm, influence? Not exactly. It's more influence. Yeah. Uh, Again, we had kind of a family rule. Uh, you're going to run track. Okay. And, yeah, I was one of those parents that said, you know, I only picked two things, though. There were two things that you had to do. You had to run track, and you had to take taekwondo. Okay. Now, here's where it gets a little different. When there's, it's the philosophy behind it. Are you saying to your kid, as you mentioned, you know, those, you know, parents live in those dreams, if you will, through their kids. That wasn't my approach. My, I was very understanding and clear. My playing days are done, okay? uh-huh. and I enjoyed them, but they're done. The reason we had that family rule um, was that, yeah, as my wife would have said, it's the family business. But the other thing about that, too, was being a, real, a realist with what goes on in the world, uh, again, having those years years as a campus monitor, seeing what goes on in the school. Um, you can be doing exactly what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it and still get caught up in the crosshairs, if you will. So my philosophy behind that was ours, I should say, is that at some point in life, you're going to have to fight for yourself, whether it be physically, verbally, emotionally. There's going to be a fight, whether it be externally or internally. That was the purpose of taking Taekwondo, okay? Uh, I trained in Taekwondo for several years. I recently just got back into some training at uh, uh, Pharaoh's Extreme Body Shaping. Urbandale, there's a shout. <laughs> my, 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 my you family. We'll put it in the show notes. Right? So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, just that idea that you had to dig down inside and, and get that fight out of you. Yeah. And a lot of that is taught during Taekwondo. From a track perspective, at some point in life, we've all had to run from something, okay? Whether it be because we're scared, uh, because we're in a hurry, or, or in danger. Or in danger. We got to get away. <laughs> Absolutely. Or if it's just something that we want to do. Yeah. So we truly took that approach with them not to be the overbearing parent, you have to run track because we ran track and this is what you're going to do but more so those philosophical reasons behind it uh, that has led to, to be honest with you, it's led to their success. Yeah. Did they also participate in other sports? Yes. Uh, our, well, our son, anyway, he was a multi-sport athlete. He was a track and football guy. Okay. Our daughter was more, or is more, of the performing arts. Okay. So, again, she did her st- her stint in Taekwondo, which was pretty short, which was fine. Again, I just wanted you to yeah, get try a little it. taste. Yep. Yeah. Uh, she did a couple years in track, and uh, she has now moved on. She just recently graduated from UNI. And go Panthers. Go Panthers. There you go. And she recently accepted a fellowship out in California at the University of Berkeley uh, for stage managing. Wow. And, again, being with her, walking that journey with her, I see – those philosophies coming out. Uh-huh. I see that Taekwondo uh, fight that she learned how to fight for, what she does, and just how her day goes. Yeah. Uh, and as far as running, you know, as a stage manager, they are constantly running. It is a nonstop gig. And so all of those things are starting to 
transfer over. Yeah, everything makes connections. Well, you should have, you're, I know you're proud. I am extremely You've proud. You've raised yes. two wonderful adults. And I will say this, to your point about the parents, there was a, I did have one of those dad moments, if you will, <clears throat> excuse me, where, and it was during summer track, uh, our daughter was complaining about her ankle. Okay, now I know she didn't want to run track. And so I'm thinking, all right, are you really hurt? Yeah. Or are you just playing? Well, I kind of passed it off. And the other thing about her, she didn't care to go to the doctor, as most kids don't. Uh-huh. And I said, okay, looks pretty bad. Maybe we'll just take you to the doctor and get it checked out. Okay. Well, I kind of let that go. And she called my bluff a little bit later. It was a couple weeks after the season was over. I was laying on the couch, and she came up to me, and she said, Dad, when are we going to go to the doctor? And I said, why? She said, well, my ankle. And I looked down, and it was big as a softball. Oh, no. And so for me, that was a life-changing moment. I mean, right there on the dime, my approach to, with them as athletes and kids, my approach with my athletes at the school changed at that moment. So we've, we've all been there. Yeah, we've for all sure. been there. For sure. Do you think that a lot of parents have unrealistic expectations for what their children can accomplish in high school sport and the potential to play beyond high school? You know, it's hard to say. I'm, I'm someone that shies away from uh, the word a lot, always, never, and so forth, just because you just don't have a true sense of how many people actually think that way. Right. But to your point, there are several parents out there who feel that way, who want to live vicariously through their child, mm -hmm. and they push them in that manner. Now, I pushed mine, don't get me wrong, I pushed them hard, but I guess it's the philosophy behind it, the follow-up conversations. My follow-up conversations were more life-driven than they were athletics, whereas to the point you're making, uh, you do have those parents who are pretty hard on their kids about how they performed, mm -hmm. uh, whether they were able to score the goal or, you know, hit the ball and so forth. Um, where with me, while I was pushing them, it was more about the effort. You know, what type of an effort are you putting forward? Uh, that was with my kids, with the kids I coach. You don't see that as much with parents anymore. That used to be a thing, um, at least in my experiences. Yeah, that's a a concept that's kind of faded away and it's become more about the wins and losses mm -hmm. which I've always said if you put the work in the wins and losses will come yeah you know you let the chips fall where they lay and so that way at the end of the day if you do lose you can still hold your shoulders back and your chin high because you did everything you could yeah and that again back to our philosophy in track we're the best team in the state let's go to work did you go to work if you went to work there's nothing else to talk about yeah if you gave everything you could yeah as hard as it was in my program uh, to be successful, if you will, I shouldn't even say that because it was really about the work ethic, but I probably had the easiest program to get a varsity letter in. And I'll do the air quotes, which folks can't see, for the varsity letter because in my program, it didn't matter what grade you were in. And honestly, it didn't matter what kind of numbers you turned in. You didn't have to be the fastest. I had freshmen on my track team that lettered that, to be honest with you, when it comes to time and distances, weren't very good. Mm -hmm. But they came to practice every day. They worked hard every day. They gave me everything they could. What else do we want? 
Yeah. You know, and there were times when even my coaches uh, would disagree with that philosophy. And we tried it. We tried having those standards where if you hit the benchmark, you're going to letter. Well, then I would pose the question to them, well, what if the kid only comes to practice three or four days a week? And what if that kid is a nuisance in the classroom? What if this kid, student, young person, just, you know, they give you a hard time, but they hit the benchmark. They still letter. That's not a philosophy that I took on. I went away from that. And so really it's all about the work and the effort that you put in. So who determines if someone letters? That comes down to, I mean, the coaches, the head coach and the assistant coaches all talk. Gotcha. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to the head coach. Okay. Right. And again, even that depends on their philosophy. Okay. Um, There are times, I've had a few instances where I didn't believe that a kid should letter. Uh, but it wasn't a, uh, one of my athletes that I was working directly with. Um, again, being the head coach, I was, I was able to coach any of the events, but my specialties were sprints. But I've had situations where a student athlete from another uh, category, whether it be shot put in discus, middle distance, I wasn't their immediate coach. But their coach fought for them and and laid down some scenarios to justify why they thought they should have lettered. Uh-huh. I like to be fair, and so I put it to a vote. The other coaches thought that the young man should have lettered. I didn't. I went with the majority. Yeah. So that happens. Yeah. So I'm guessing you've coached students who've, you know, maybe gotten in trouble for drugs and alcohol. Yes, I have. And now we're going to kind of transition from – now we're going to combine your position as a coach with your prevention role okay, here. Sure. So, you know, I don't know. I didn't pull any stats on the prevalence of drinking in high school. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have some off the top of your head, but it's it, it happens. Absolutely. You know, teenagers drink, uh, and a lot of those teenagers are athletes. Yes. And so what, I guess, what would you say to – an athlete who might like to party on the side, but they're also wanting to, you know, make it to state. Sure. You know, what are some of the, I guess, complications, ramifications? I mean, we all know that if you're not legally old enough to drink, there are some legal consequences right. there. But not everyone gets caught. Right. Right. So right. talk to me a little bit about that. Sure. So athletic performance as it relates to drugs and alcohol is a huge factor. Uh, I'll speak to alcohol for a moment here. Athletes, when you consume alcohol, people, and it's one of those things where we know these things, but then are we applying them? Mm -hmm. A lot of people know that alcohol is a depressant, okay? A lot of people know that alcohol can dehydrate you. Right. Those are two things that clash with athletics big time Uh okay Um, but again some of them don't know that uh, and so they are looking just for that thrill that that short time happiness you know that high or that drunk feeling that they're going to get whether it be at a party hanging out at a friend's house whatever the case may be but at the same time they're ignoring or discarding what their own goals are so again that was one of the things that I would try and do is remind kids or emphasize what are your goals what are you looking to do are you trying to get to the state meet and if so 
what does that look like? And that's the disadvantage for a lot of the athletes who haven't been there yet. They don't know what it looks like. They don't know what it takes. And that's why it's so important for coaches and parents to kind of play that dual role in tag teaming, you know, that effort or that push to get their sons and daughters and athletes to do the right thing. It's been said that if you were to have a, a one night of binge drinking, okay, so binge drinking for females, it's four drinks in a short amount of time. For men, it's five drinks in a short amount of time because the way our body chemistry works, typically, not always, typically the male can take on more alcohol than the female. But four for women, five for men. One night of binge drinking can set you back two weeks of training. Wow. Right. And so that's somewhat eye-opening for them. Um, And so we would constantly, in our practices and team meetings, we were constantly reminding our athletes of that. Uh, We also were reminding them that, you know, you're at a point in your life where it's time to make decisions. We're not following you around Mm -hmm. to make sure you're not doing these things. You know, you go out in the evenings, um, you may have a curfew until midnight, there's nobody there to make sure you're doing the right thing except you. Right. And so alcohol, and that's the other thing about it too, we talk about from a coaching perspective and a parent perspective, it's very important that we emphasize what your goal is and we're doing that on a consistent basis. Uh, because as athletes, as teens, as kids, the attention span isn't as long. Uh, being able to see the finish line isn't always as easy but as adults who've already been there and done that so to speak i think it's important that we do everything we can to show them and remind them of why they're there what they're there for what their goals are and what it can look like if you if you veer off of that sure yeah i just think the whole one night of binge drinking can set someone back two weeks in training that's just and I've heard that statistic before, that reference before. I mean, that is, that causes you to pause. That's significant. Yeah. Yeah, especially because think about how much work goes into those two weeks of training. Yes, and in the short seasons that they are, uh, uh-huh. you know, when you start looking at, when you start actually counting days, and especially when you look at, and I, I guess it varies depending on every season. Yeah. Uh, but you look at track, for example, you've got spring break in there. Sometimes kids leave and they are already going to be behind because they may take off on a family vacation and be gone for a week, so they're already behind. Uh, during that time of year, you've also got ACTs going on. Uh-huh. You've got prom, and you've got the spring dance. I mean, there are yeah. all of these things that get in the way uh, as far as the number of practices that you are actually at. Mm-hmm. God forbid that you would get injured, and that puts you aside. Right. So then you throw alcohol into all of that. It, re- it really puts you at a deficit as an athlete who is choosing to consume, uh, consume alcohol, and any drug for that matter, but alcohol, uh, it just puts you that much further behind. Yeah. And then you look across the field or the track or across town at the athletes you're competing against, and maybe even someone that's on your team, you're competing for the same position, who's not doing that. Yeah. But yet you want to go to state. So yeah, alcohol can be, can have an extreme uh, factor, or plays a, a, a big factor in our performance, whether it be good or bad. Yeah. 
Well, this was such an interesting and fun conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your time and knowledge with Emotion Well. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your work on the prevention team, and I'll include in our show notes a link to our page about prevention on the website. Sure, absolutely. Well, as a prevention specialist, um, I get the joy of going out and sharing not only these stories, but also more information about drugs and alcohol and the preventative side of things. Uh, We do a really good job, and we've got a great team that does a really good job of sharing not only the statistics, um, the stories, and, and the facts about drugs and alcohol, but also about placing it on the decision-making of the individual. Mm -hmm. Again, I mentioned earlier that no one's going to be there to follow you around everywhere you go. So we're really good about coming into an organization, a school, business, whatever the case may be, and letting them know we're not here to tell you what to do. I'm not here, and it sounds kind of weird, but I'm not here to tell you not to drink. But then I follow it up with, you know you're not supposed to drink. And I would also often ask the question, do you need someone that you possibly will never see again, you've never seen before, coming in here and telling you what to do? Most of them say, no, I don't want that, <laughs> right? Yeah. So then rather than spending our time with uh, a prevention specialist telling you what you should or shouldn't do, what we're going to do is we're going to share the facts with you. We're going to share with you what binge drinking does to you. We're going to share with you the effects of marijuana on your brain and so forth and how it can affect your performance, whether it be in athletics, music, academics, whatever the case may be. And then the reality is, it's now up to you. But our job as prevention specialists are to make sure that you have all that information so that you can make a good decision. Yeah, excellent. Well, I will include a link to our prevention page on our website in the show notes. But thank you again, Joe. It was great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And make it a great day. Will do. Win the day. Win the day. Thanks for listening to Emotion Well. Please subscribe to us and don't forget to rate us. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Emotion Well is hosted by Johanna Dunleavy and produced by Emily Wonkum.